We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm really pleased to introduce uh, again this, well, again, at the Campus Ministry United Workshop, Patrick Mead. Patrick was with us last year, and uh, some of you who were here know a little bit about him. And I understand you have a move coming up in your future. You've been in Detroit for 10 years, and you're now going to be moving to Colorado Springs to right. minister yep. with, uh, what's the congregation there? Eastside. Eastside, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so when is that taking place? My first Sunday there is August 21st. Okay, so coming up pretty soon yeah. now. Uh, so we'll have to uh, subscribe to their podcast yes. in addition to Rochester's. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'm pleased to introduce Patrick. A little bit about Patrick. Uh, he has two PhDs sitting in a drawer because now he's a preacher. And so he's taken a, a step down. And uh, those PhDs are in neuroscience, and, yes. and you've got a master's degree in counseling, yes. yeah. and so you have a lot of education. Yeah. Uh, and so this guy, uh, he's, he's one of those types who remembers everything that he reads, and he's an avid reader. And so you can ask him a question about anything, and he's going to know a little bit of something about it. And if not, he's really good at making things up. I so will lie. There you yes. go. Um, so yes. it's all good. But uh, we're very happy to have him with us today, and I'm going to say a quick prayer over you, and then we're going to jump into our lessons. God, thank you for bringing us together around the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for recreating us uh, and for blessing us in this lifetime. Thank you for giving us a mission and a story to be a part of. Thank you for giving us the drive to reach out to our friends and our neighbors, and thank you for giving us purpose in this life. Father, I want to pray a blessing on Patrick this morning uh, as he articulates some of our story uh, as part of being uh, part of the restoration movement in Churches of Christ. And I just pray you'll uh, bless us as we listen to him, and I pray you bless him and speak through him this morning. Uh, and Father, ultimately, as with all of our uh, intentions this weekend, I pray that people come to know Jesus as a result of what happens here today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. Let's leap right into this. I know a lot of you, as soon as you see the word history, your eyes begin to roll back in your head, blood starts coming out your ears. We'll, we'll try to make this as painless as possible for you. Uh, those of you who have never met me before, your run of good luck has now run out. Uh, I've been working in Detroit for the last 10 years with the Rochester Church that is known for breaking the ice and doing a lot of things that Churches of Christ normally don't do, but it makes it easier for the rest of you. So uh, if we go first, and we're happy to do it. However, after 10 years, I've trained my replacements, and I believe that it's, as a good, it is the, um, it's part of the job of a good leader to train his replacements and step back and let them step up, and that's what's occurring right now at Rochester Church. Uh, Adam Hill and Brian Bowers and Jason Steckel and Sarah Barton and, and Beth Bowers, and all of them will step up and take it. And I'm moving across to Colorado Springs. And I'll talk some about that tonight. Uh, the 9 o'clock talk, which is 10 o'clock Eastern time, by the way. Good time for all good Christians to be in bed, by the way. Um, <laughs> but Josh Graves, my son-in-law, who's now the minister at Otter Creek, and I will be talking together about that. Paul to Timothy, that handing off. And you might, again, think, well, I'm young and vibrant. I don't need that. Actually, you need to start now preparing to hand off uh, all through your life to the next group. And it's, we'll talk more about that later. In Scotland, we have a couple of interesting ways of telling somebody they're fired. You almost never hear the words, you're fired. Instead, you'll say, you have become surplus to requirements, uh, which means we don't need you. 
or they'll say you're redundant, which means we've already got people that can do what you do. Now, why I would start off this way is very simple. We have a lot of churches. If you go into the yellow pages of any town you go into, there are a ton of churches. And I have to ask you, what are we doing here? Why, why should we even exist? Um, we had some friends that went into Northern Ireland to set up a congregation. And as they did, they tried to find a way to advertise it. And people would say, well, are you Protestant or are you Catholic? Because that's the two big deals there. And they'd say, well, we're neither. We're Christians. And, we're, and they, the, the natives would look at them and say, are you insane? You're bringing another player onto the field? We don't need this. We need less division, not another group. So it's, an, it's a really vital question. What are we doing here as a Church of Christ? What is our place in the world? But to know that, you've got to know our story. And you've got to know how our story went terribly wrong and how it's starting to come back in a really great way. We'll talk about that today and tomorrow. So here's we start. Back in the 1700s, the world was not what you think it was. Everybody has this. I love Mythbusters because the idea of this is what people believe, this is the truth. And I, I love that aspect of things. In history, you think, well, the further back you go, the more people believed in God. You might be surprised to know this, but by the, the end of the 1700s, it was hard to find a Christian in America. Most of our universities, in fact, Harvard's president wrote saying he knew of only two believers in the entire student body at that time. It was what was taking place was something called rationalism. There are two big streams you need to think about. One's on this side. It's rationalism. It is, we're going to find that we are humans and we don't need God. We can just use reason. Over here, you find religion. And religion at the time was incredibly fragmented and very, very, uh, not only divided, but antagonistic toward each other. You can still go into Scottish and English churches and see military banners hung from the, the ceiling. And what those are aren't people like, hey, we've got some fellows in the Marines and we're just thinking of them. No, these are the banners of the people that fought for our religion against that church down the road. And they had their own military. And the religious wars filled the graveyards of Britain and Europe, literally. I have stood in the field at Sankar in southwest Scotland where people met out of a church to take the Lord's Supper as an act of rebellion and they were slaughtered for it on that spot whenever the opposing church's army found them. That's what religion was like. No wonder so many people were giving it all up as a bad idea. And we're going to rationalism. That's why Darwin's idea caught on fire. is because people were ready for another religion that didn't include God. And if it could be naturalism, great. And they ran to it. Into all of this, we find a, a, a poor minister's family in Northern Ireland. His name is Thomas Campbell. Now, he considered himself Irish. If you did a DNA test on him, he would have been 100% Scottish. But he considered himself Irish the same way you consider yourself American, even though you're standing on Iroquois and Cherokee ground. 
the Scots had invaded a couple hundred years before. And they had been put there by the crown, by the English crown, to, to make it governable because the Irish were considered to be uncivilized and ungovernable. So the Scots were there for a long time. If, you, if your mom's Irish and your daddy is Scottish, you're not Scots-Irish, by the way. Scots-Irish means Northern Ireland. That's what it has always meant. And they were Scots-Irish, we would call them. They would have called themselves Irish. Somewhat like a South African who's white might call himself African. And you're thinking, no, really, you're Dutch. And he's going, no, we've been here for 300 years. That's the kind of people they were. Thomas was a minister for a branch of a branch of a branch of a branch of the Presbyterian Church. If you really want to go through it, it's the anti-seceder, uh, new light, and it just goes on and on. The Presbyterian Church at that time, and even today, but at that time especially, was so divided that in a town, you might have a town of 5,000 people, you might have 20 Presbyterian churches, none of which were in fellowship with each other. Does this sound familiar? I stopped at Colby, Kansas once, because we had to. Nobody does it on purpose. <laughs> it's kind of like Denny's. Nobody starts out going to Denny's. That's just where you end up. Uh, and my, my family at that time was young, and uh, I said, let's take a break from the drive. We went to a little museum. It said, see the world's first helicopter. And I don't think it was, but there it was anyway. And, uh, I looked, as they were looking at it, I walked over to the, the Welcome to Colby, Kansas thing, and it said, Welcome, the churches of Colby, Kansas uh, greet you. And there's a Church of Christ, there's a Christian church, and there's the Disciples of Christ. I asked somebody, what's the population here? And at the time, it was like 3,000 people. And I went, wait, really? We have to have three flavors of our people here for this? You know, come on. They're used to corn. Anything will be interesting. Just get together. <laughs> but then again. And for those of you who don't know, yes, we have cousins. Our churches have cousins all over the place. The start of the American Restoration Movement started with Thomas Campbell being sent by his church to a wild place called the Western Reserve, America. A place that wasn't even a state yet. He was going off into the wilds of what we would today call Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. And he was going to be sent from his young family. But he is a staunch member of this group of a group of a group of a group of Presbyterians, gets over there. And Thomas has some problems. Thomas has a sweetheart. And in a place where you were either a rationalist or a very angry, divisive religious person, there was no place for a kind heart. He had been hauled up before the session. That's the court that Presbyterians have to test their people. He had been hauled up before the session of the Kirk several times already for using too much scripture in his lessons, for uh, not preaching against the other Presbyterians as often as he should have done. And for once, even offering communion to somebody who was not of his group. This was a serious issue back then. You might look upon it as silly, but take that as, as a very important lesson. Everything you think of right now as absolutely desperately important will be laughed at one day. They'll look and say, they fought over that. You know, for example, you know why the Catholic Church split? 
into the Roman Catholic Church and all of the Eastern Orthodox churches over a fight over does the Holy Spirit come from the Father or from the Son or both? My response is, I don't care as long as he shows up. <laughs> but that was enough to cause war for a thousand years. And they're still not sure the other side's going to heaven. Remember that what you think is important can end up being very silly in time. And the world will see it that way. Well, Thomas Campbell was an interesting guy. He, uh, he also, by the way, didn't disapprove of it whenever one of his congregants went to another church and listened to somebody else. And so he'd been hauled up several times. So he's really being punished by being sent to the American frontier. He was on the frontier and, again, not following the rules. And it was found. Somebody wrote a letter. It's always helpful. We always find people that are willing to write a letter. Today it's an email, a Facebook posting, or a blog. But all of a sudden, I just heard Patrick Mead say that he would do this. And it gets back to my parents, who are just to the right of Attila the Hun. And it's not pleasant. <laughs> but you have these helpful people. And they wrote, and they turned them in. He's on the frontier, and he's still using too much scripture, and he still did not discipline his members when they went to hear a Baptist preach. Now remember, his family's back home. They don't know of any of this. And Thomas Campbell did something desperate. He wrote his church and said, I'm no longer under your authority. I quit. You have no job. You have no church. Back in the day when your church was everything you had. You're stuck in the American frontier. Oh, here's good news. Your family is on its way to come see you. How are you going to explain to your wife and your children you've left your church? Well, back home, the kids are gathered together. They get on a ship. doesn't go far. It sinks. It's a shipwreck. And they are taken to the wild coast, it still is wild, of Kintyre Peninsula on the west of Scotland. That's where they're rescued. And the people in the west of Scotland are very, very hospitable, still are. I know we're, our reputation, I'm from the Isle of Skye, that's the west of Scotland as well. Uh, the reputation is that we're very tight with a penny, but that's, we're careful. Aye? But whenever somebody else needs something, you'll never find a more generous open people. And they, they take in the young Campbells. And there's the young teenage Alexander Campbell. And they, they say, well, what are you going to do? Well, there's no money to get on another ship. So they, they do a whip round. They get some money. And they send them to Glasgow, the big city in Scotland, which is still the biggest city in Scotland. And there in Glasgow, what are you going to do while you wait to find a way? His mama is taking jobs. The kids are taking jobs. What are you going to do? Alexander is awfully smart. Let's send him to university. And they do. They send him to Glasgow University. The University of Glasgow, and by the way, both ways are correct, uh, had been established since the 1400s. It's one of the oldest, most prestigious universities in Europe. It still puts out its diplomas only in Latin. Um, it's quite well known. So as he goes there, he uh, comes, and it's all religion, remember, Back then, theology was called the queen of sciences. You were not educated until you had theology in you. Even if you were there to be a medical doctor, theology was your primary study. 
So as he's there, he falls under some radical people like the Haldanes and others that were saying, maybe we should be allowed to read the Bible for ourselves. Maybe we should be allowed to think for ourselves. Now this comes from two, the two streams. Tired of the division and the way the organized churches had split them and sent them to war against each other. Tired of the John Knox-style Calvinism that literally sent people into the palace to murder people they didn't like because God willed it. We've got to find a better way. And then the rationalism, John Locke, L-O-C-K-E, John Locke's um, rationalism, that style, that pouring together, and you pour that into a mix of a people that if you've seen Braveheart, at the drop of a penny, we'll paint our face blue and run out and kill somebody because freedom is very important to us. It's hugely important to us. What do you, what do you get? Alexander Campbell began to look with a new eye at all the churches, and it broke his heart. Near the end of that year, good news, one of their preachers from an anti-burger, old lights, a cedar branch of the Presbyterian church, was coming. They could take communion because in their branch they believed, as many churches still believe, you cannot have communion without clergy present and without a, a, a multiplicity, at least more than one, elder present and they were coming so you get to take communion it was such an exciting time but to take communion you had to prove you were a member of that group so you would go before a board a session board they would question you about your faith if you passed you were given a token whenever you got to take communion you showed the token and then you could take Young Alexander, remember, has not heard from his dad. He doesn't know what happened over a year ago now. Letters didn't get posted half the time. When they were posted, they didn't get there. The stamp for a letter could cost a week's wage. I think you'd... I, I love technology. I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I don't like it when they're pulling out their phones. No, I love this. I absolutely love this because I remember being at home in Scotland and not able to call my family that was working in Appalachia because the expense was horrific. It'd be $10 for a connection and then $3 a minute. And I was making $100 a week. You can't call home. You know, it's just, it's awful. But now, love it. So I'm, I'm cool with it. Although I do, whenever I see a scripture and I see everybody pulling out their phones to read it, I still wonder how many are doing Angry Birds. You know, really? <laughs> but, because I know they're not finding Leviticus that fast. You know, so anyway. Anyway. Alexander, his mom and his brothers and sisters count on him being the head of the family now until they can find a way to get to America. They count on him being the religious leader in the house. At this time, it was considered expected in your home to have house church every day. You had a time of worship and study formally in the house every day. And he was the leader. And he's being troubled by all of these things he's hearing about division not being right. You see, they'd been taught division was a duty. Now he's hearing it's a sin. And he's beginning to read scripture. 
He's so troubled in his heart, and I'm really shrinking this. But when the time came for communion, the celebration time comes, he looks around and he sees people on the edges of the congregation that cannot take because they're not of the right flavor of faith. They don't have a token. So whenever the bread is, is presented to him on the tray, he reached over and he dropped his token in the tray and walked out. You have no idea how brave that was. The American Restoration Movement started when that token hit the plate. Because that was the act of rebellion that could mean you'll never have a job. And we won't hire you to work on our landscape because you're out of communion. Your, your father will disown you. They have no idea the father has already left. Months later, his mama's still not talking to him. They have enough money. They get on a ship. They get to America. They aren't going to meet their dad uh, immediately. It takes a while to get places anymore. So they take a, they take a wagon ride, and it, it goes on and on and on. September 1809, they finally get there. They, they meet Thomas Campbell, and they're going to go 350 miles in a cart to Washington, Pennsylvania. If you don't know where that is, it's all right, south of Pittsburgh. Uh, the natives call it Little Washington. We lived just south of there in Morgantown, West Virginia for eight years. That's where I get the accent. And we love those people. It's just brilliant people. Halfway along, Thomas finally has the nerve to break it to his son. I've left the church. I don't have a job. And Alexander says, <laughs> I left the church. And Thomas says, I've been working on something to explain to you what I've done. Would you read it for me? We don't have anything else to do in a cart for 350 miles. <laughs> so he reads his dad's statement, his manifesto. This is why I'm leaving. This is where I stand, so help me God. We call that letter the Declaration and Address. I would highly recommend that all of you go online, print it out, and keep it as close as you do your constitution. It is not a creed, as we'll talk about especially tomorrow in the class. There are a couple of things in there that made us go into the weeds, made us make some errors. But the beauty of it is almost Shakespearean in its writing, and it is... It is where we got started as a church. And what we were intended to be might shock you. But let me just start by reading the first one. That the church of Christ, we'll stop there. <laughs> Why would he pick the name the church of Christ? Funnily enough, nobody would have asked that for the first 80 years. Because the Church of Christ was a generic term for Holy Catholic Church, all Christians. We were given a name for unification with all believers, not to be a franchise church. There are places, we've worked in places where the word name Church of Christ was already being used by other people. 
And so we asked our missionary supporters, can we change our name? And they're, oh, no. What if an American's visiting and they try to find you? I'm not here for them. It didn't matter. We lost money. We went hungry, literally went hungry. When I have a, a wee daughter born in Glasgow and we have no money to feed her because people at home were afraid we'd use the wrong name. When the Church of Christ means all believers. It always has meant all believers. It has never been a franchise name. We treat it as if it were, but it isn't. That's why he chose it. Listen to what he says. That the church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. Consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures, and that manifest the same by their tempers and conduct, and of none else, as none else can be truly and properly called Christians. So the first shot across the bow. This is the first time this had been said, by the way, in history. That's why I am not leaving this church. This is the top. This is the wellspring of something really great. This is the place where a man stood up and said, I refuse to recognize divisions. If you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and if your character shows that you believe in Jesus Christ. You are the church of Christ on earth. As I'm about to go to Colorado Springs, I warned them whenever they asked me to come out to interview for the job, I said, I really don't want to do it, and you don't want me to come out. Uh, I said, just Google me. Uh, I've, I've left bodies in my, my wake. They asked me to come out anyway, and I told my wife, I said, this is not going to be in. This is just a free weekend in Colorado because they're, they're going to get really upset as soon as anybody does a check on me. So we got out there. The elders sat down. They started interviewing me, and I just held up my hand. I said, let me just start. And I started talking to them about freedom in Christ means we're going to have to take another look at the way we've treated women. We're going to have to quit fighting over things like instruments. We're going to have to quit fighting about the many things that divide us. Because we are Christians, we'll try anything we can. And I told them about our church started a tattoo parlor. Our church did all this kind of stuff. And about 10 minutes in, one of them held up the hands and says, Well, we, we heard about that. He said, We want you to know that this really isn't an interview. And I turned to my wife. I was going, See, they heard on the plane. We're away. <laughs> And they said, no, we just want to hire you. I was shocked. I said, we're going to put some things in writing. <laughs> oh, get it in writing, people. <laughs> it says, this is what's going to happen if this happens, and this is going to what happens if this happens. And we got it in writing. And they, they did a blood oath, and we killed a chicken, and we're, we're good. <laughs> But I told them, I said, if you have a member who disagrees with us about the gifts of the Spirit, we will not fight them. If you have a member that disagrees with us on the end of time, we're not going to fight them. If you have a member who doesn't believe Peter wrote the books of Peter, we're not going to fight them. But if we have anybody whose Christian character 
is deficient, I'm going to be at their door the next morning. Because that's what God called us as important. And I said, your job as elders is not to make sure we have purity of doctrine, but purity of life. That's what he's saying. And that's radical. Absolutely radical. One man even asked me this. What would happen? I love the way people's minds think. What would happen if you're in Iowa and there's a snowstorm, a blizzard, and you're trapped in a hotel with the Pope? First of all, I don't think he's going to be in Iowa. But that's all right. <laughs> and you can probably, yeah, you can probably find him because his hat's kind of pointy. So, you know, <laughs> snow comes, you can still find the Pope. They said, what would, you, what would you want to talk to him about? I said, I would walk up to him and say, it's good to meet you. What can I do for you today? They said, you wouldn't talk to him about it? I said, no. They said, why? I said, that's not my job. My job is to be Christ to him. See, he thinks that's his job. That's my job. And I don't want the hat, so we're not going to fight. <laughs> that's what the Church of Christ is. That's who we are. That's how we started. And then the second, that although the Church of Christ upon earth must necessarily exist in particular and distinct societies, locally separate from one another, what that means is there's no place big enough to put us all in one room. So we're going to be in different places. There ought to be no schisms, no uncharitable divisions among them. They ought to receive each other as Christ Jesus has also received them. Anybody recognize Romans 15, 7 there? Accept one another as Jesus has accepted you. I will divide from somebody the moment I find a bigger sinner than me. I'm drawing that line and picking up a rock. But I've not found them. I have found people who are bigger sinners on the outside. But I'm a great sinner on the inside. I told the group this that last year. This happened last year. I, I, I'm a scientist who comes from 300 years. Unbroken line, military. We're gifted at hurting people. We are. We've either been military or law enforcement. And I went the law enforcement way for several years. And, and still, by the way, that's one of the hardest things about leaving Michigan. Every Michigan state trooper has been trained by me. I'm still involved. I still speak at Homeland Security conferences and the FBI Academy. And so, um, you know, they're, they'll fly me in for some things. But still, that, it, these are my boys. You know, and I hate leaving them. Still, what I'm trying to say is that's genetic and it's hard for me to get past it. I flew in last year, landed. My first thought was, ha ha, why'd they put a Christian school in hell? <laughs> and the second thing I found out was I'd forgotten my deodorant. That's not good. So I, I went you know, to Walmart where everybody who eventually goes if they die outside of Christ. And so I went in and <laughs> Got some deal, but as I was as I drove in to the parking lot, I'm in Searcy, Arkansas. People, I'm out of Detroit, and I'm and there I am, you know, I'm, I'm in the parking lot, 
and, and a white kid walks in front of me, all dressed, all ghetto. <laughs> Cersei. And I had to slam on my brakes. And he looked at me and just flashed me a gang sign. And I'm, really? <laughs> my first thought was not, God bless him. I wish it was. My first thought was, I could kill you with a magazine. <laughs> I cannot divide against a person who has different ideas from me on communion when that's in my heart. See? Ideas and thoughts have consequences. And the churches of Christ were built upon these thoughts that we don't divide. We embrace. That's who we are. A lot of you are going, man, something went wrong. We'll talk about that. He goes on. They ought to receive each other as Christ has also received them to the glory of God. I work with atheists all the time because not only law enforcement but also work in science. Uh, one of the things they like to bring up is, well, if Jesus is truly God, why are there so many churches? Well, then there needs to be a group that embraces people. That's us. And for this purpose, they ought to walk by the same rule to mind and speak the same thing and be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that's where we went off the roads a little bit because people grabbed onto that one and said, all right, we have to agree about every point of doctrine. No, he was quoting scripture. Go back to that scripture. What were they talking about? That Jesus Christ was the son of God who came to earth who died for us and was resurrected on the third day. Got it. That's what we stand on. And so if I get somebody at my door that doesn't believe that, well, then I'm not putting my arms around them, but I'm putting my heart around them, and we're going to find a way to get them into the fellowship. We're not going to find a way to divide. We're going to find a way to be together. Do you remember Jesus' prayer of John chapter 17? Think about it, people. You're about to die. He knows he's about to die. And you get a choice in that time of subject material for your prayer. You can pray about a lot of things. And he did what we did for a while, and that is what we would do, and that is, ooh, don't. I don't want to die. Stop this. But thank God, he said, nevertheless. I mean, all of creation released its held breath when he said that. Because I truly believe if he had stopped it at that and just said, stop this, God would have stopped it. Why? Because I'm a father. That's why. And if one of my kids said it and I had the power, I would storm in and let all of you go to hell. But Jesus said, nevertheless. Okay. Kind of feel like when my son put on the uniform of a United States Marine. And I watched him put up his hand. I'm going, well, you know, after 300 years of British Royal Marines, we finally got somebody, you know, on the winning side. That's nice. <laughs> but it was, it was hard for me, knowing he was deliberately putting himself in harm's way. And knowing that later, if he called me and said, hey, get me out of here, I can't. But God could have. But what else did Jesus pray about in that prayer? That they all be one. So here's the question. 
Are you going to be an answer to God's prayer today? Are you going to keep it from being answered? And if you're thinking, oh, no, no, that's false reasoning because the way for us to all be one is for us all to agree with what I think. Really? You're the standard, are you? And yes, good-meaning people have given me several copies of Behold the Pattern. There is no pattern. There is no pattern. If there were, we would have a book of worship that explained what songs God likes and the way he likes them done. And the way we're to take the communion, whether we pass it, it passes us, two prayers, one prayer. He didn't. He didn't even describe a worship service. And people were saying, oh, no, if you grab this verse, grab that verse. That's like trying to write a biography of a fellow by driving past his house every day and looking in the window as you go past at 50. <laughs> Plus, you forget that for the first 300 years, nobody had all those books together. You forget he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, sent him on his way rejoicing. He didn't send him on his way saying, well, you're going to go to hell anyway because you don't know how to make elders. I had a man come up to me all red in the face. This happens a lot. <laughs> he says, starts saying, you're not being scriptural and you're not... I just put my hand in his face. People aren't used to that in church discussions. <laughs> he backed up a little bit and I said, hold it right there. You, are you an elder? And he said, yes. And I said, who made you an elder? And he said, well, the church pulled some names up and they did. And I said, then I put my hand right back up. I said, stop it. I said, you have never any more right to talk to me because in the scripture, the only way we have is a minister appoints the elders. He went all white. He said, really? I said, you don't even know your own book. Yeah, really? I said, so never come up to me and talk to me about scriptural again. By the way, I don't think ministers have to appoint elders. I don't think God was trying to make a rule. He was just trying to say, hey, Timothy, this will help you out. I don't think he was, what he was trying to do is make us like Jesus, not get us a board that decides who mows the lawn. That's ludicrous. It really is. You know that Michael has a bruise right there from looking going, oh, jeez. <laughs> You know every so often God's saying, uh, Michael, come here, you got to uh, just, just kill him. <laughs> Do it in love. <laughs> We're going to, I got to check the time here. Oh my goodness, somebody's been playing with the clock. Um, I think I'm supposed to stop at 12, right? Uh, what saith the law? Oh, really? Does that because that includes the discussion time, right? Yeah, we are, you guys are good, right? Yeah. Oh, good. Then I'll tell you stories of when I was a boy. No, I won't. Um, <laughs> is it possible for a group to be of the same mind and the same judgment? Yes, it is. As long as you don't spread that to include everything. Take a look at the way we're dressed. I like to wear shirts that, about guitars, because guitars are what I do. Uh, love it. 
In fact, when I leave, when you're all done, I'm, I'm having to stick about because I'm speaking on Sunday morning, and then I fly out because it's Little Rock. There are no direct flights, and so I'll be bounced about the Western Hemisphere, and I get home about midnight in Detroit. Next morning, 9 o'clock, we're loading a truck and heading to Colorado. Now, we don't move till next month, but there are some things I don't want the movers to move. Uh, number one, remember military, we have some weaponry that, you know, makes them nervous. Uh, so whenever you say, say, where do we put the tank? They don't like that. So everything we have is legal and we're licensed. And so put that in the boot, uh, in the big truck. And also a bunch of guitars, about 15 guitars. We gave away a bunch. 15 is all we got left. So put those up, oh, and, and we're going to drive those across. Why won't we let the movers do it? Because I don't trust them. We'll let them move our grandbabies, but not their guitars. No, that's, we have standards. Now, you don't have to wear shirts like this. You don't have to like them. One of the reasons I like to wear them, by the way, is because you get completely left alone in airports and the like. People see work shirts, they don't think you're important enough to look at. It'll teach you something about the subculture. When you dress like, I'll put on a suit and tie, people immediately, they look at you, they, they, they'll smile, they'll recognize you, you get, you put on one of these, you just walk through the airport. That's an interesting moment. Uh, if you really want to be a left alone, just wear a t-shirt that says, ask me about Jesus. <laughs> There'll be a 30 foot bubble. <laughs> anyway, you don't have to dress like I dress, you don't have to like what I like. I was talking to one of the people today, and they, and they said, well, I don't have a television. I would die without a television. I know some of you think, well, that's terribly shallow. We can disagree about that. I like TV. I don't like everything that's on it. I only like the good stuff, which means probably not your stuff. We disagree. I have people come up to me all the time. They'll say, oh, you're Scottish. And I'll say, well, kind of. You know, I've seven countries growing up. It's hard to know. And they, they'll say, um, well, which did you like, Rangers or Celtic, the football, big football teams? And I have to admit, I don't like soccer. I know, disappoints people. Oh, World Cup? I had a bunch of Mexicans in the neighborhood come to my house. Oh, let's watch it together. And I'm going, I, no. <laughs> you know, I'll let you watch it, and I'll just go in the kitchen and eat your food, because it's pretty good. <laughs> I'd be more happy, you know, if the ball blew up every now and then or something. If somebody, we can disagree. I'd like hockey better if the ice was slowly melting and there were sharks under it. <laughs> you don't think about these things. So how can we be of the same mind and judgment? You don't spread it to mean everything. You don't mean they sing the songs I like. My goodness. Well, they use the version of the Bible I like. No, we agree upon Jesus and the way we're to treat each other when we disagree. Why, do we have, why, why did God make marriage? Because he wanted you to see how to live with somebody that's not you. I've been married to my girlfriend for 32 years. She's still my girlfriend. She's not me. She's an artist, an interior designer. Every day she comes home, tells me what she did. 32 years, I've never gotten a picture in my head. Not a clue what she's talking about. <laughs> but I stand there, I look at her, and I smile while I'm hearing wah, 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 wah. <laughs> We're different. 
She's American. She's normal. I'm neither. She came from a pacifist family. <laughs> that was a bit of a trip. But we are in the same mind and the same judgment. And in fact, people don't believe it. So friend her on Facebook and ask her. We don't fight. I cannot remember the last time we had an argument. It's been decades. Because we're the same mind and the same judgment. And that is, this is God's daughter. Treat her accordingly. And you are God's sons and daughters. I've got to treat you accordingly. That's what Jesus said. Paul, have you ever, I mean, my son's going to get married next month. I know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to read 1 Corinthians 13. It's the law. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. And it's great, great. But it's, have you never paid attention to the end of it? Remains three things. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, so love trumps faith. Yes, it does. Love trumps everything. I got a, a fan email that should have tipped me off. This young lady said that she and her, her friend had been coming to church. And they just couldn't believe how loving it was and how, how people were so kind to them. And they've been looking around, and could they meet with me and talk to me about what the church is? And I said, oh, I'm sure. And they said, well, where? And we arranged to meet at a pub downtown. It's where they know me. So I walk in. We sit down with these two young ladies. And after five minutes, it's obvious they're a couple. Oh, now what are you going to do? And they ask, is that going to be a problem? And I looked at them, and I said, you know the way I read the scripture? Your relationship is not what God wants. If I'm reading the scripture correctly, it's wrong. But here's my promise to you. I love you now, and I will always love you. And I will serve you, and you need me, you call me. And if you need a hug, I'm there for you. And I dare anybody on the planet to be kinder to you than me. That's been two years ago now. And there have been some issues. They have, one of them has a brother in jail who's a complete nutcase. And I used to be a shrink. I can say that. Um, nutcase. It's a technical word. Everybody got it right. Okay, fair enough. And they called us last month, and they said, he's getting out of jail. He's threatened to kill us. I said, don't worry. I got a hold of a judge, got a hold of a, a prosecutor, got a hold of some men that are off-duty police officers to protect them. We met with them for supper, held their hands, and prayed with them. People say, oh, but they're still gay. I know. I know. I wish they weren't. But I'm going to love them anyway. Because that's my job. Love has to trump judgment. Love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. Love drives out fear. The Bible says God is love. We were built, the churches of Christ were built on that. So the question comes, what happened? How did, because for some, and by the way, some of you don't ask that question at all. 
I, I've been to the Crossings Church. And that most of you guys aren't Church of Christ people. This is the only Church of Christ you've come into, and it's pretty cool. Yes. It's the way it's supposed to be. But for some of us, I grew up in a Church of Christ where everybody, I mean, it was, the catechism was extensive, but very simple. Wear shorts, go to hell. Um, you know, um, mixed bathing, go to hell. Which, by the way, is not nearly as interesting as I thought it was when I didn't know what it meant. Uh, just means swimming. So uh, I was thinking, what churches is that acceptable in? Um, so many things. Go to hell, go to hell, go to hell. You know, clap, go to hell. I mean, all of this. Dance, go to hell. And, and the other side of the catechism, why do the Baptists use instruments? Because they don't love Jesus or believe the Bible. Why do the Catholics have a pope? Because they don't love Jesus or believe the Bible. I mean, those are the answers we were given. And then you go back and read Thomas Campbell's Declaration and Address, 1809. Our church at Rochester, which, by the way, I'm, I'm already in tears leaving. There are no problems leaving. My job is to leave and let them grow. You know, that's a hard thing, but sometimes you have to do it. Sometimes you have to put your kid on a plane, right? Uh, our church, a thousand so people, most of them have no background in Churches of Christ or any church. So we went through a 10-week series on the Declaration and Address to say, this is who we are. This is how we got here. And at the end of it, we invited all the neighboring churches within a five-mile region to come and take communion with us on a Sunday afternoon. A lot of them did. There were tears of joy when people found there was a church that would say, we love you. Come on in. We're not going to examine you. We're just going to say, come take the bread. Come take the wine. They had not run across this before. One, I've got to tell you this, disciples of Christ pastor, he said, oh, this is wonderful. He said, what do you want me to do? And I said, why don't you say a prayer at the table? He said, really? And I said, yes. He said, now, should I bring my chalice or use one of yours? Uh, why, why don't you bring yours? I'm just thinking we got some Dixie cups in the washroom but um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to Acts 18 26 each other take each other aside and explain the way of the, the Lord more perfectly that's completely fine if somebody's baptized and they don't, they've never heard the name Holy Spirit I think it's entirely appropriate to go off to the side and say let's study the Holy Spirit Let's do this. There's, it's entirely appropriate to talk to people about how to pray. Or, in other words, doctrine has an absolute place if love trumps everything. Doctrine is there. I'm not opposed to that. But we never approach it from a period of enmity or haughtiness of saying, I've got the answer, laddie. Come here. And are you really going to say that to somebody who has spoken in tongues, seen their grandmama healed of, I don't know, warts on the head? Uh, they've, uh, they've gone through all of this. They've experienced this exuberance. And you're going to sit down and say, no, nah, it's all made up. Don't argue with people. Don't argue with anybody's experience. Rather, just say, you know something? That's not what I do. If that's something which is meaningful to you, I'm not going to take it from you. But can we sit here and talk about Jesus for a while and just smile? They'll do that. 
and say, what can we do to together today in the name of Jesus? And you might think I'm missing out because I've never spoken in tongues. And I might think, eh, I'm not so sure you are. But that's not the problem today, is it? The problem is, I need to love you more. And I need to find a way that we can love somebody together. Let's go find somebody. I have found it's hard to argue theology when your head's down a toilet bowl as you're cleaning it for a group home or while you're building habitat for humanity or while you're rescuing those that are in slavery. I'm part of a group many of you perhaps have heard of it. You can get an app for your phone, IJM.org, International Justice Ministry, that goes about the world, but I work domestically finding those caught in sexual slavery or in industrial slavery brought over for work and getting them free. That's um, yeah, IJM.org. I see some of you reaching for pens. Get the app. And in Colorado Springs, there is a Cinderella house where they are taken and saved, uh, protected, schooled, health, all that sort of thing. I'm going to do that instead of arguing with you about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there was a church asked me to come up to speak one night in the VBS. They said, we're getting a different speaker each night. I said, all right, great. And I should not have said that so quickly because I should have asked for the subject first. And then they said, here's the subject, the Holy Spirit. You've got 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, great, that'll cover that. Um, and then they said, you, you should know that we're having a big argument in our church right now where the Holy Spirit exists from us separate and apart from the Word or only through the Word. Or I said, well, thanks for telling me that for you. Asked me for the commitment. I went up, and you could tell they were on different sides. <laughs> you know, at each other. And, you know, they're, they're big family edition Bibles in their laps. And I said, so, I opened by saying, does the Holy Spirit come to us at baptism in a way separate and apart from the Word? Does he come to us that way sometime during our life? Or does he only live within the Word? Stop for a minute, and they're all kind of on the edge of their seats. I said, how should I know? You don't know either. Let's just talk about what we do know. And we went from there. And it was amazing. Some of them got angry because I didn't back up their side, but most of them went, oh, we don't have to fight over this. That's right. We don't have to fight over it. We don't have to fight over anything. Will I take communion with somebody who worships in a different way? Yes, as long as they're worshiping Jesus. You kidding? I'm right there. I already take the Lord's Supper with sinners every week, and I am among them. So why would I stop when somebody new walks in who just loves Jesus in a different way? We'll look at Romans 14 in some depth. Uh, got to check the time again. The Bible gives us a command. Love one another. That's our highest command. Jesus said, love God, love one another. That's, that's the highest commands, right? All right. Well, then let's do that. So what song should we sing in church? Whatever songs show love toward each other. That means we're going to sing our target songs, by the way. We sing the songs of our target. We don't teach... Uh, for, how many of you have ever had Shakespearean literature classes? 
Have you? Right? Not very many. Why? Because you don't have to. Very few people say, ooh, I'd like to learn how to speak English in a completely unusable way. <laughs> but most of our churches, when they come in, we teach them they have to learn a special prayer language, a special worship language, and a special song language. Um, you know what we're doing? We're making our religion Sanskrit. Sanskrit is a language nobody speaks. It, it is one that burst upon the scene. A lot of holy books were written in it, and it died. But for those religions, you have to learn Sanskrit to read their books to know their God. Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't speak heaven. He, speak, he spoke Aramaic, because that's what they spoke. So we're going to sing the songs you sing. I was in Indiana, Anderson, Indiana. And they said, ooh, while you're here, we'll give you tickets to go to the Gaither Museum. I don't want to go. <laughs> so I know, for some of you, Southern Gospel may be the closest thing to heaven. For me, it's a wee bit south of there. I just, oh my goodness. They're, they're singing in their Southern Gospel thingy, and I'm just going. <laughs> yeah, right, no, you first. Uh, anyway. <laughs> In fact, I was, I was at a place where some uh, Southern Gospel people were singing during a lunch break, and it was hor horrid. It really was. Only Jesus was enjoying the show. <laughs> My wife was just kind of cringing. I looked over at a fellow minister, and I said, finally, I've come up with a good argument against instrumental music. Them. <laughs> I didn't want to go to Gaither. But I, I, in that church, Gaither fed them. They sang Gaither Southern Gospel songs. Guess what? If I moved there, I would sing them with them. Because that's love. When I go to the crossings, you never get to sit down. <laughs> I'm old. I've been through the wars. I wake up in the morning, my first words are, ow. <laughs> They'll say, oh, stand up. And you just can't stand up either. They clap. They sway. Now, I don't dance because I'm Scottish, and we don't know how. Now, the Irish only dance from here down. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's, that way they can not spill their beer. But, but to find dead brilliant, actually. The churches of Christ began as saying, you call yourself Baptist? That's fine. You do it that way, that's fine. And in fact, when the big gathering took place in Kentucky of two different groups that had two different ideas, one believed that there was a real Holy Spirit and the other did not. They thought it was more of a manifestation of God's presence in a different way and it was, it's a bizarre one. One believed that instruments were fine and one wasn't sure about that at the time. One believed in a different organization than the other. One had a different name, Christians versus disciples. They were very different. But when they read the declaration and address and talked to each other, one big guy from the disciples stood up and walked over to the others and said, if we're united on Jesus Christ as a son of God, I'll shake your hand. And we were united without settling these disputes. 
we weren't going to settle these disputes. In my church, we got people that vote wrong. I'm not going to tell you which way that is, because it's going to be different for each of you. See? Gotcha. <laughs> we even have people think it's a sin to vote. And we have others who think it's a sin to vote for anything other than or higher than the sheriff of a county. I, they, they worked that out with them and God. I'm not interested. They, they got it all. But guess what? What unites us is Jesus Christ. We got that from the declaration and address that reminded us of what the scripture said. The, the DNA is not our creed. It just reminded us of who we were supposed to be. You know what it was? A lot of you won't get this. It was a reset button. Those of you that use Macs don't know what I'm talking about because your stuff works. <laughs> but for those of us that aren't afraid of a challenge <laughs> and still use Windows, the longer you use Windows, the less it works. And so every so often, you just have to shut everything down. If they made cars, every so often it would just stop. You have to get out, walk around the car, get back in, and it would go. <laughs> The DNA was a reset button for us. Listen to the third one. That although the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are inseparably connected, making together one perfect and entire revelation of the divine will for the education and salvation of the church, and therefore in that respect cannot be separated, yet as to what directly and properly belongs to their immediate object, the New Testament is as perfect a constitution for the worship, discipline, and government of the New Testament church, as, and as perfect a rule for the particular duties of its members as the Old Testament was for the worship, discipline, and government of the Old Testament church and the particular duties of its members. In other words, we're not going to run to the Old Testament for our laws and rules now. We're going to go to the New. And what a lot of people did was they got that wrong. They thought, ooh, let's look for all the laws in the New Testament. Let's find them. It's not a law book. It's a narrative. In the Old Testament, 610 plus laws about worship and life. In the New Testament, love one another. I mean, it's remarkably stripped down. Old Testament, even the pillars in the tabernacle had to have a certain kind of carving on them with certain plants and certain number of petals on each leaf of the plant. New Testament, not... I, stripped down, it's gone. What's going on? Thomas Campbell was trying to emphasize this. Look at your New Testament. That's our law. And sadly, a lot of people looked at this over the years and tried to make New Testament a law book when it isn't. Let me explain how that works. Let's say one of you came up to me and said, what is a Christian? And I said, you know, a Christian's a guy who loves his wife and his children. You know, he goes to church, he's kind to the poor, gives of his means to the poor. He was baptized into Christ. Uh, he reads the scripture. And you go, all right, fair enough. And then you try to make that law. No. Am I insinuating that it has to be a guy? That he has to be married? That he has to have children? That he has to be physically able to go to church? That he has to know how to read? That he has to have enough money to not only feed his family, but also to give? No, I was just trying to give an answer. Do you see what I mean? 
legal answers are not the same as narrative answers. And so whenever Paul talks to Timothy about making elders, he says, well, you know, that's a guy that does it this way. When he talks to Titus, he gives a different group. Some of them are very slight, but I mean, one, with Timothy, children had to be believers. Titus, he said, children not accused of riot. Wow, there's a different bar. <laughs> Why? Because they were in different places. And he was not trying to make a law. He was trying to give guidance. Big difference. I mean, perfect example. Last night, I updated one of my blogs. I have a personal blog and then a blog called Tent Pegs where I answer religious questions. We're up to 300 and something on those. I updated the personal blog and I brought up that I don't read an awful lot of the new pop theology type books and I don't mean to denigrate them by the way, by that at all. Some of them are dead solid brilliant. Uh, but I read more science than I do that. Just who I am, so the way God wired me. But the when preachers ask me, uh, young people ask me, they want to be preachers one day, young men, young women, whatever, I'll say, listen to these people. Get them on your iPod. And a lady wrote on my Facebook, or their own uh, Facebook page, well, when I, I, I noticed you didn't ask them to write, uh, to read the Bible, which is the source of the, and she quoted scripture like I didn't own one. <laughs> Why would we assume the worst? Why would we feel the need to correct each other? As long as somebody believes in Jesus, aren't we supposed to just be a part of the story? That's just who we are. We're a part of the story now. We're not law keepers. God did not say, here's your faith, make sure you protect it against those evil people. In fact, in the Bible, there are only three ways that you can lose your salvation in the New Testament. One is to be sexually uh, rebellious and refuse to repent. Remember 1 Corinthians, we got the guy that married his mother. That's considered a no-no. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't repent. So it's, we're not talking about people that make a sexual error. We're not talking about people that make mistakes. We're talking about somebody who's an open rebellion. All right? Second was to deny that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, that should be a given. You know, his name's on the sign. <laughs> you know, there are people that were saying Rob Bell in his book were saying there was no hell. He really didn't say that. But he did take all the joy out of telling people to go there. Because if it's not there... Anyway, uh, the, third, the third way is by far the most common one talked about in Scripture. And that's to be a heretic. And when you think heretic, because of the way we were raised, we think false doctrine. No. It's not what the word means. It means a divisive person. If you're a person that divides, you're not part of this story. So I don't care if you have a different idea than I do on a doctrine. I might ask you not to teach it. Got a fellow that comes up to me every so often. He really thinks we ought to become Jews to be Christians. He would disagree with that summation. He thinks we ought to call Jesus you know, by, a, by a, 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 a Hebrew name. We ought to call God Yahweh. And we ought to celebrate the Jewish feast and this, that, and the other. Because he's really convinced of this. I said, brother, I don't care if you believe that. 
but I'm not going to let you teach a class on it. Why? Because I don't want you to be divisive. You believe what you want to believe. You start being divisive, we're going to be at your house. Because that's not Christian. And he, can, he looked at me and he goes, why do you get to teach what you believe? And I leaned over and I said, I don't teach everything I believe. Because some of it would be divisive. I teach what the general group understands and we accept, and this is what we believe. That'll do. It's not divisive. Let's be careful. The Bible warns us not to take his book and use it to divide people but rather to unite them. That's why he says, in the, and, and I love Tyler's um, presentation this morning. He did an excellent job. I will confess. Tyler in the room? I don't think he is. But when I walked in, I saw all of these CDs sitting about with his name on it. I'm going, well, who's Tyler Ellis and why should I care? Because my first thought was, oh, great, somebody has a band. <laughs> when people find out I have, that I play guitars, uh, a lot of them go, ooh, you'll like this. Not yet. Um, anyway, yeah, because I get to play with some cool people. I, uh, Motor City Guitar is one of my hangouts that I take kids to as well. One of the ways I reach people is teach them guitar. But we'll take them there. And yeah, you walk in and you'll see, you know, Kid Rock will sit down with us. Or uh, he's a good Christian guy. Um, uh, you know, um, you'll get Ted Nugent uh, in there. You'll get Bob Seger and people like this. And so, yeah, I play with some cool people. So you ought to see the number of CDs I get, people that know two chords and no notes. Um, but So that was my first thought. But he gave a great presentation on the international. How are you going to do international if you train people? They first have to become America circa 1950 to get to heaven. It's not going to happen. You go to Uganda, those ladies, I can't do what, it's, it's what they call it, uvulation, but it's like, la, 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 you know, right most of the time, right before you, after you hear that, something blows up because it's a, you know. But anyway, <laughs> in worship, they're dancing and waving their hands and doing that constantly. And I'm going, well, I think God likes this. I do. At, I, I speak every so often at a youth rally called Soul Quest in York, Nebraska. Now, these kids all come from youth groups that are like three you know, and, and this church and that church. And so this is their big thing, right? After every baptism, they're banging on the pews. I've never done the banging on the pews thing. That was new. But I mean, it is noisy. They are cheering and shouting. Seriously, if there are 20 baptisms, and we've had them in a row, they never tire of the shouting and the banging and the laughing and the clapping. They're, they're rejoicing. And I'm thinking, there are some churches that have divided over clapping after a baptism. Do you really think when the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice that they're sitting up there going, Amen. <laughs> really? Oh my goodness. But you know what? There is... I love my church. Because there's no other church that was founded on the principle of Jesus is enough. None. There's no other church that has been willing to say, we will adjust to whatever it takes to bring you Jesus. You don't have to go through a creed or a catechism. 
You don't have to go to an official school or an official publishing house. No. There's no other church like this that has given communion back to the hands of the people. You don't have to have clergy present. We're all clergy. I, I know we're not supposed to be clergy, but if people ask me if I am and there's a discount involved, I am. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but you hit me in the wallet and we're talking religion. <laughs> My father was so Scottish, when he opened his wallet, George Washington would blink. He hadn't seen the light in so long. It was amazing. <laughs> we really think the Grand Canyon started when he dropped a nickel down a gopher hole. Anyway, some of you will get that later. <laughs> when you get a, a group of people together, and we're different, we're international, you've got to determine who's in charge here. And the Churches of Christ said it's not a person but the person of Jesus. It's not clergy. We don't have to ask people permission because we have a Jesus who's in charge. We don't have to go to the elders. At our church, we don't go to the elders to ask permission. We go to them to tell them what we're doing and ask for prayer and blessing. And our elders, do have, they have regularly scheduled every week prayer and blessing times. They never talk about budget and um, Bible class material. Are you kidding? You just ask who wants to do it, and you support them. And you let God do what he does. Searching for an area of agreement whenever you disagree, as you will, what do you do? Well, here's where it gets interesting. You live to your principles. People ask me, they'll say, how many people go to church at Rochester on Sunday? And I'm not going to fight them over the term, go to church. I mean, that's petty. Why, why fight? I have to tell them, I don't know. Because at our building, would generally just be about 700 to 880, somewhere in there. But we have house churches. And we don't know how many of them are meeting and where they are. Elders will sometimes float among them. But they, they get me via video, or whoever's preaching via video. They might be instrumental. They might not be. They might use women in this way or that way. They might not. We have some areas that are heavily Muslim that are very conservative. They may do it a different way. We have one house church, which isn't a house church anymore. They're, they're running in the 60s. And they're having to rent um, golf course clubhouses to, to do it. And I'm going, you know something, guys? Be ye warmed and filled. Do it your way. But they're still using us. And I'm saying, all right, fair enough. You have to be willing to give control to the Spirit of God and let it grow. Let it go. I'm not in charge of it. I don't know what's going on half the time. When a man gets up and grabs a microphone, you pay attention. Are, are we getting close or something? Or you just thought somebody's going to take your microphone? All right. Tell you what. Since he did grab that, and we've got just a little bit, we'll talk tomorrow about how we went into the weeds and how to get back. All right?